Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Dimple Thakra, welcome to Inside Out. So how would you define a world changer, someone who changes the world? How would you define that? And then what are some common traits that you think most world changers have? It's a great question. I just literally wrote a blog about this because I actually work with leaders. I work with entrepreneurs and leaders, right? And I've, I've noticed patterns with leaders. And those patterns are, they have something called tenacity. It's this incredible ability to keep going no matter what, like the energy and the effort that they have is just mind-blowing. So I would say tenacity. Then there's this absolute focus on purpose and mission. Absolute focus, right? And sometimes to the detriment of other aspects of their lives, right? The focus is so tunnel vision that I often find things like health, relationships fall by the wayside because it's almost like they can't stop. They're on the fast train to the mission and they can't stop. And it's interesting because there are certain patterns and traits that are so common with these very high-level leaders in their industry, right? So you see it in Tony Robbins, like his ability to do, I mean, what he did before COVID, which was he was literally all over the world. I mean, I remember I was platinum partner and I went to every single one of his events for 12 months. And that was 18 events I attended in 12 months. And I was exhausted and I'm not even like, doing the event, right? <laughs> so that amount of energy, tenacity, its ability to be so single focused. And there's, a, there's another piece. It's almost about losing themselves. They get lost in the mission and become selfless. 
So I would say those are the three things, qualities that I've certainly noticed with the leaders that I work with and with the leaders that have been my mentors. I mean, Tony Robbins is one of them. Dr. Joe Dispenza is another. It's, they have such clarity on their missions. So those are the three. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. They almost take themselves out of it. So it, it does become selfless. To your point, they're myopically focused almost to a fault, right? Where they don't focus on anything else. It's be almost like an obsession. And then, yeah, the tenacity, they, they will, it's like a dog with a bone. They're not going to give up. So I think those are all three very, very interesting and, and appropriate things to think about. I want to talk about your story and as I did my research, I learned more about you, things I didn't know. You know, I know prior to doing what you're doing now, you know, helping the, the elite performers, the top 1% as an alignment coach, you were a dietitian for years. And I know one of the reasons that you went into that field was your childhood and specifically that you battled with anorexia as a kid. Can you talk a little bit about how that childhood experience informed the human being you became as an adult? Absolutely. Thank you. What a beautiful question again. And thank you for doing the research. Yeah, I was 13 when I had anorexia and I literally went from the weight I am today to probably half my weight right now. I stunted my growth. I stunted my development. And I remember there being a pivotal moment and that was, I was taken to the doctors. My parents were like, we need to do something now. And I remember the doctor saying, Dimple, this is it. My organs were shutting down. You either go into hospital or you eat. In that moment of decision, and this is what has framed everything in the work I do since then, I remember there being an absolute moment of decision. And that decision was, do I hit the self-destruct button and continue down that road? Or do I take the path of truth and investigate the path of truth? Because the reason I became anorexic was because of all the media images of what healthy looks like. And these people aren't qualified to give advice like that. And so that, I remember being super focused, even at 13. And that was the moment I decided to follow a career that gave me the truth, evidence-based nutrition, helping people, and my love for science and food. I mean, at 13, I was an encyclopedia for how many calories there are in food. I could tell you like that, how many calories, how much fat, how much protein, because I was obsessed with it. And so that was really a pivotal moment for me, really, around that decision. And it's in those moments of decision that will define whether you go down the route of self-destruct or whether you go down the route of truth. And the root of truth actually requires more courage than the self-destruct, right? Because we get comfortable in the pain that we're used to dealing with. So to go down an unknown road of what if I find out things that I don't like? And what I found out was going down that road that I had to have the courage to decide 
that it doesn't make sense to eat less calories than my body requires. And that was such a battle for me. And I'm sure for many people, when they reach a point in their lives where, is it self-destruct or do I step into an unknown place and have courage and faith that it's going to be okay? And so for me, that was the moment. And that's the reason I wrote my first book called Your Food Freedom, because it was a beautiful blend of your relationship with you and food, evidence-based nutrition, mindful eating, and intuitive eating. Because once I recovered, I didn't want my children to ever go through that or anybody else's. And I didn't want any other mother to actually face nearly losing their child. And so... That was the whole story behind that. And it's, it's so interesting because everything I do, everything I've coached, every subject I've supported people on, I've gone through it first. So it's almost like a pattern of I have to go through it in order to learn it to then help. I know from yourself as well, Billy, that you've had to go through a lot in order to learn to then have impact, right? It's... It seems like a pattern that not everybody follows, not everybody has to do that, but I certainly believe that I feel so much more aligned when I can truly understand. It makes perfect sense. And I think what you've just illustrated is how sometimes our most painful moments in life can actually act as the rudder towards our purpose and what we're meant to do. And so for you, and you're the work that you did as both a dietitian and an author and in helping people be more informed when it comes to eating decisions. And then more recently, I know that you faced a big challenge in your marriage, right? And, you know, several years ago, you were on the road to divorce and you've shared with me and, and others that you were literally going to have a, a planned divorce after 25 years and ultimately you had this aha moment, this awakening, if you will, and this revitalization of your own marriage. And now you're on a mission to help other people with their marriage. And because you believe, and I think it's so, it's so amazing that you've championed this cause, you believe that most divorces, they don't necessarily need to end in divorce. And I think this is so fundamental as, a, as somebody that wants to make an impact. You cannot look past the importance of the relationships that are the, the most important in our lives, the family relationships, the marriage that you have. So as somebody who's an advocate for understanding how to navigate through the treacherous waters that exist in relationships, what are you seeing as the number one reason how people are misdirected when it comes to their own personal relationships, especially marriage? Yeah, it's a great question, Billy. I would say the number one reason is they expect the other person to respond in the way that they would. So there's a lot of expectation as opposed to appreciation and not really understanding. And I'm told I, I work with male and female relationships. I don't work with gay relationships or lesbian relationships. So I'm just primarily talking about and referring to men and women relationships. Um, what I've found is, and I was talking to a, an executive today, coaching him. And what I find is we don't appreciate that 
women's brains and the way we operate a very different operating system to the way a man's is. Alison Armstrong defines this really well. And she says, you know, women, we expect men to respond like hairy women. Right. <laughs> right? And, and you're not going to. And because your brain is wired differently. And that's what creates the polarity and the beauty in the relationship. And we have that at the beginning of our relationship. Then we get comfortable and familiar and we start taking each other for granted. And what I'm seeing in long-term relationships is that very thing. We take each other for granted. And then the, the main thing is we expect instead of appreciate, we fall into that place of lack, that place of they're not doing it right. They should be talking like this. Why are they behaving like that? Why are they responding like that? As opposed to, gosh, thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate, like when we went through our difficulties, I absolutely was in that place. And now I have reached a place that We've been together 31 years. We've been married 26. And every single day I wake up and I look at my man and I go, thank you. Thank you for today choosing to walk this path with me, not taking them for granted. Just that little bit of appreciation, that little bit of acknowledgement gets lost when we get familiar. So you know, in answer to your question, the one thing I would say is that we fall into the trap of expecting instead of appreciating. And I like that you use the word acknowledgement as well, because I think appreciation, it could be internalized. But when you acknowledge, you're actually showing that appreciation. I know for me in my own personal situation, I would be served a lot more if I acknowledge, and part of this goes to, back to this male pattern uh, absence of listening. We, we are not typically the best listeners, especially, and I'm speaking very broadly, of course, but we're just not great listeners as a general rule, right? And I know I am no different than perhaps the general rule indicates, which is sometimes I'm not listening as closely as I should, but then the other piece to that is not only listen, but acknowledge right? And not only appreciate, but acknowledge. Acknowledgement is huge. I want to just say that I actually disagree with you when it comes to men not being able to listen. It's not that they're not able to, it's just that they don't, they don't do it. It's not a question of their ability to listen. It's actually a question of, are they focused on you in this moment, right? Because a man focused on you is listening, is actually listening. If we're trying to get him to listen to us while he's focused on something else, men have single focus. It's really hard. It's really hard. Today I was, Atul was eating his lunch and I was talking, asking him something. Kira heard me, my daughter, right? Heard me ask. He completely didn't hear me. And it's not that he wasn't listening. It's he wasn't focused on listen me. He was focused on his food because he was hungry. And it was only a second later he went, did you say something? <laughs> Sorry, I was really hungry. It is such a great point. And I completely agree with you. In fact, I've had this conversation over and over again. And it's so true because I know from my own personal experience that when I'm focused on something, I'm focused on something. I, I'm not a great multitasker. I am like completely 
oblivious to anything else happening and I'm completely focused on what I'm focused on. And therefore she might be saying something, but I'm not, I'm not hearing it. So great point. And I totally agree with you. So I want to transition to talk a little bit about, and it ties right in, is this idea of consciousness and awareness and how that plays into the work that you do. Because I know one of the things that you do is you approach things from a focus on raising consciousness. And why is that so important as especially relates to us being top performers? Why do you raise consciousness? Why is that something that's so important as you focus on your work? Yeah, it's a great question again, Billy. Thank you for asking it. I want to just define consciousness and what I believe we're talking about in my world. That is, when I think about consciousness, I think about it on two levels. I think about it in the 3D physical world that we live in, right? Our physical bodies. And I think about it in what I call the 5D world, which is where our souls and our spirits live, right? And so I believe that our soul and spirit chooses to house in this body so that we can feel and experience things. And so when we talk about consciousness, it's a place of, well, the science shows that we 95% of everything we do, our thoughts, our conversations, our beliefs are done unconsciously. They're done in the subconscious, so automatic pilot. We're not even aware. And there's 5% that is conscious. Now, what that means is that we become aware of how we're communicating, right? So the story, the example I gave you with my husband having his lunch, in the past, I would have been unconscious about how I would have responded to that. And I would have been unconsciously programmed to say, you're not listening to me. Can you not hear me? Are you deaf? What's wrong with you? All of that subconscious programming. But because I've become aware of that programming, I'm then at a place to be able to decide, is that something that I want to go down or do I want to actually learn about the differences and why he's not hearing me? It's not the meaning I'd put on it unconsciously. My 95% was he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's not listening to me. Why is that food more important than me? These are the stories that we unconsciously do. And the reason I'm so passionate about the 5% of the consciousness is that if we can increase that, we're then at cause. So we can cause and we can create the lives we desire as opposed to being the victim of it, as opposed to, well, it's all his fault because he never listens and he's always doing something else, as opposed to me taking responsibility that actually I have learned and I'm conscious now that his brain is wired differently to me. It doesn't mean he doesn't care or love me. It just means that in order for him to protect and provide for this family, he has to take care of his basic human needs first. Because if he's going to go and hunt and bring back the bacon, he has to have the fuel inside of him to do that. So this whole piece on raising your consciousness, the name of the game is moving the balance. So it's not 95%, it's more like 10%. 
to 90. It's more like 85 to 90. And we can do this in many ways. We can do it with NLP. We can do it with traditional coaching. What I have found to be the fastest and most effective way is through energy work. And that is through actually working with your subconscious, working with your soul, with your past life, with your DNA, looking at your ancestral DNA, looking at what you learned as an inner, as a child and reprogramming. So we go right back to source as opposed to trying to uncover the layers that traditional therapy would do because that takes years. Whereas when you work in the 5D, which is there's no time, no space, what you can achieve in three years, you can achieve in a 45-minute session. So why wouldn't you have the fast pass, you know? So does that answer your question, Billy? It's kind of a long way around. It, it does. And, and, and I normally would be going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But I, I have to be really mindful because the, if without the headphones, anything that I say while you're talking, just letting you know off of the, uh, the podcast, I can't do it because it's showing up on your speaker. That's why I'm not uh, saying anything as you're talking. You may be wondering, why isn't he saying anything? I just, I have to be dead silent. Otherwise, it, my sound will sound, will muck up your sound. So just wanted to let you know that's why I'm doing that. Thank you. And this is just a good rule for podcasts generally. The, why everyone's wearing headphones is that you want discrete audio channels. That way they're completely separate and they're completely isolated and there's no other external thing. But because your microphone will get the speaker so it's me talking into my microphone and then going through the internet to your speaker and then your microphone picking it up. It's just, it's crappy sound. Because I always wondered why that. So I'll get some, I'll get some headphones. Yeah, they always yeah, yeah, wondered yeah. what the connection was. So that makes total sense. I'm deeply fascinated about this. And if this is all we talk about for the rest of our, our discussion, I'm going to be a happy man. So we know when I interviewed Nidhi Tiwari, we talked about intergenerational trauma and how that's a thing. And now what you're saying, and I think this is a really, really interesting point, is that when we go back to this programming that could be literally centuries or thousands of years in the making, it takes some work to undo. And you said past lives. And so I want to clarify, do you mean generationally or do you mean past lives, uh, past lives, which is another thing that I'm deeply fascinated by that notion that maybe our soul does carry on from life to life. So I'm curious, do you mean one or both of those? And then secondly, how do you do that work? You said a 45 minute session, what goes into that? Yeah, great questions. So the answer to the first question is it can be ancestral. So it can come from your DNA. So that's the, this is the difference. The ancestral piece comes from your DNA. It literally comes from the coding in your chromosomes. The uh, past life is where your soul goes into different bodies, right? So I'll give you an example to illustrate how I work in order to show you. Um, I had a lady who was in Australia, Perth, and I'm in England. And the way I work is audio only through Zoom. And for some people, that's like, how can you do audio? Well, it's because when we take away all the other senses and we only focus on one, it heightens our listening. Okay. So that's the reason for the audio. Now, this lady came to me and she was struggling with her husband because he wanted a baby and she was scared. I've never seen this woman in my life. So I started the first session 
And the way it works is I go into um, theta brainwave, which is a frequency that we can all go into and we do twice a day, once when we wake up, when we're coming out of sleep and once when we're going into sleep. And it's those moments where you have the brilliant ideas and you forget them because you've either fallen asleep or you've woken up. Now, I've been able to, I've studied and trained. I'm an advanced theta healer. So I've been able to train my brain to go up into theta brainwave at any moment. Anybody can do it. It's just that that's what I've trained my brain to do. And so what that means is I can actually tap into her frequency wherever she is in the world and do a body scan. So what that means is I close my eyes and I'm actually able to, like even now, I can actually go into your body and do a body scan and assess what's out of alignment in your body. So when I did this with this lady, straight away, I was shown a big black mass about the size of my fist in her lower back, right? Straight away. And I said to her, listen, her name was Valerie. She's uh, given me permission to use her name. I said to her, there's something wrong with your lower back and it's causing you great debilitation, like so much pain. And she said, oh my God, Dimple, this was the first session. And this was in the first two minutes. She said, Dimple, for 15 years, I've not been able to I've had debilitating pain in my lower back to the point where now I can't walk. The doctors can't find any organic reason for this pain. I've had all the tests. And she said, and this is why I'm scared to have a baby. Understandably, when you're in that much amount of pain, you don't want to think about labor or holding a baby, or actually carrying a baby. So I went into her energetic space and I got given the information on what to do. And it was actually past life. It wasn't ancestral. It was way, way back. And I can't even recall the era, whether it was in Egyptian times or way back. And she carried the trauma from then and her soul had carried it into this life because it hadn't learned the lesson from that life. And once we taught it the lesson and done some work around that, within about 45 minutes, because I take on what they're feeling, I felt a pop in my back. Literally, it was a pop at the same time that she felt it. And she got up and walked. Nine months later, I get sent this beautiful picture of her newborn baby. So that's just like the starting. And then as that comes up, other things come up. So it's, you know, it's a program over a series of weeks. But I've had people heal from cancer. I've had people heal from asthma because really we're all energy. Like we are our thoughts. We can actually make ourselves ill. Like if you think about it, if you have a headache and then you get focused on something else, you don't, the headache goes. And then the moment you focus back on it, oh, there's that headache again. So where did it go? So in order to, in answer to your question, Billy, it's both. And the work is done so fast because we're treating the very cause. We're not putting a plaster on the wound. And so, yeah, that lady keeps in touch and uh, her baby is now one years old. So what a great story. I love it. And I love the fact that you could do this through audio only to your point, right? There's something very special and 
unique about the voice and also the ability to focus on the voice when there's no other exterior factors like visual or other things, you're, you're, you're in tune with what you're hearing and the vibration of the voice as a podcaster. Of course, that's something that I value greatly. <laughs> and so what I'm curious about is somebody listening right now who may say to themselves, I want to explore healing and doing energy work, healing energy work. Maybe they're not ready to work with somebody. Is there something people could do proactively to get more alignment or find ways to heal themselves that they could do on their, on their own? And if so, what, what would be a framework to help them? Yeah, there absolutely. It's a great question. There, there absolutely is. And I would always recommend that somebody does that first. If we use the analogy, if you want to learn how to play a sport, tennis, for example, you have to know how to hit the ball and use the racket first before you get a coach, right? Some people dive in and straight get a coach, but you have to at least know what a tennis racket is, what a ball is, right? And so... I always say, if you're going to enter into the world of healing and energy work, you need to be familiar with your own equipment first. And the way you do that is, is the conversation that we had, Billy, which is around being fully present with you, getting to know you, what your body feels like, where you hold different emotions, because that black mass was emotional constipation. That's all it was. She'd held on to so much trauma and hurt, and it was stuck in her body. So the way that we can release that is by becoming familiar with our body and where we hold it. So different body parts will hold different um, emotions. So for example, your lungs will hold sorrow. So people who have asthma are more likely to be people who have had heartache or a, a sad time. And it doesn't have to be a big, massive thing. It can be simply, you were upset one day as a child, right? And so something that helps you get present with your body is meditation. And people, I used to hate it. I, when people say to me meditation, I'd be like, that is for monks and gurus, right? But the more, if you just start with five minutes, and the reason is the peace and the calmness that you feel when you're so present with you is the same peace and calmness you feel when you're walking on the beach or when you're walking in nature. You know that moment you put your feet in the ocean and it's like a oh, feeling. That's what meditation provides for you. And a lot of the time people struggle with it because they can't switch off. But that's, it's practice. It's the same as you don't know how to hold a tennis racket when you first hold it. You don't know how to actually hit the ball when you first play. It just requires practice, attention, and focus on knowing the more you practice, the more you'll enjoy it and the more effortless it'll become. So I would say take a month. Take a month of being committed, making the decision to do a five, 10 minute meditation. And the best time to do it is first thing in the morning because you're already naturally in theta brainwave. And actually another reason to do it is you get brilliant ideas. Like that's when you have those breakthrough ideas about work, ideas about family, ideas about if you've got a decision you've got to make, what's the right decision. And it's because you're tapping into the quantum, which is the whole 5D. 
And I'll end it with this point. If you think about the internet and social media and all that information that's on, on our fingertips, like Google and all that, that is like a drop of water in the ocean of information. And the ocean is the quantum. So why wouldn't you tap into all of that vast information is available to us all. All we have to do is be present and silence the mind. And that's done through meditation. So the quantum is reached then through allowing yourself to be more present, be more aware and through meditation. And I I really love the analogy that you gave a little bit ago. Before you go hire a tennis coach or a golfing coach, you might as well pick up some clubs and swing a few times before you actually pay for the, the coach. So curious, as we think about 5D versus 3D, can you make this as real as possible for us? What's the 5D versus the 3D? And when you think about the quantum, right, being the ocean and maybe the internet's just a drop, a little speck of sand or, you know, just a droplet of water. Is it all energy? What exactly is the quantum? Yeah. So the quantum is what we refer to as the 5D. And that is literally, it's energy. It's the stuff you can't see. Mm -hmm but you know it's there. It's like electricity. We know it's there, but we don't see it. Wi-Fi, we know it's there, but we don't see it. It's not tangible. We can't touch it. The 3D is physical. It's what we can touch and see, okay, and feel, okay? And so I'll give you an example of when you tap into the quantum and you don't realize you're doing it. And we all do it, but whether we're consciously doing it or unconsciously doing it is the key. So, Billy, have you ever had that moment where you've thought of somebody, maybe a long lost friend, and you haven't seen them for ages, and suddenly they send you a message or they ring you? Happened so many times, and I'm always astounded and never ceases to amaze me how, you know, serendipitous or how the world works in mysterious ways. But what you're, I think you're saying is that's me tapping into the quantum. 100%. And the way you've done it is you've you sent out an electromagnetic wave and they've connected with it. So what's happened is you've set a thought. Oh, I really remember that gorgeous person. I'm thinking, thinking of them. That sends out the electro wave and then you feel something about them. Love, gratitude, joy, happiness. These are all high frequency emotions. And that's the magnetic bit. It pulls them towards you. So I believe the day that you went on that live that I was on, I had just that day asked the universe to send me somebody who knows about podcasts and who can help me get on podcasts. Because I want to talk about this. I want to get my message across because I'm also, I just will be publishing my next book, right? which is all about this stuff. So I sent an electromagnetic wave and I thought of you that day. And when I think of you, Billy, I think of pure love. That's what I think of. When I think of you, I think this is a beautiful, kind gentleman. Because that day when I did my first podcast and you kindly took the reins 
and you led and you taught me so much. And that has imprinted in my heart and made a coding of how I feel about you. That sent out an electromagnetic wave. And for some reason, you tapped into that that day and you jumped on that live. Amazing. This like fascinates me to no end because to your point, I've had it happen so many times where just like, wait, what? How did this happen? Like, and it's often like I'm thinking about something and then I get a text or I call somebody and they're like, I was just thinking about you. It's very, very, it's amazing. To your point, when we think about, we, we don't see electricity. We don't see Wi-Fi. If somebody told somebody a hundred years ago, you're going to be talking to these little pieces of plastic and glass that you could talk to somebody around the world, they would say you're crazy. Yet today it's completely normal. So let's fast forward to the future as we wind down here. I want to get a bit, look into the future, pull out our crystal ball. Will we be able in your mind in, I don't know, a thousand, 10,000, 20,000 years, whatever, will we be able to communicate this way as a more normal means, call it telepathic communication, call it quantum communi communication? Do you think that'll be commonplace? And if so, how do we go from where we are today to there? Your questions are just outstanding. I 100% believe that we will be communicating telepathically. I also believe that the face of medicine will be very different because we will be using healing as opposed to the medicine that we have today. Because the medicine, I believe, and this is quite controversial, I believe that the medicine we have today is in the 3D physical. And actually, we're only putting a plaster on the wound. We're not dealing with the source. So how we get from here to there through raising consciousness, through practices of meditation, through practices of believing in miracles, we are born believing in miracles, by the way. We decode ourselves and we, as parents, tell our children not to believe in fairies, not to believe in angels. When children have pretend friends, they are connecting with other spirits. It's real, right? <laughs> If we think of people who can connect with people who have passed, I can connect with my mother who died 25 years ago. I can have a full-blown conversation with her. I can connect with other people's relatives that have gone after it. So I firmly believe the more conscious we become, that yes, we will be communicating telepathically. We're doing it more and more. People who are living, choosing to live in a high vibration like yourself, Billy, it's no surprise to me that it happens to you all the time because the key is living in a high vibration energy. Mm -hmm. And that is a high state of, I'm, I'm not saying you can't be sad. That's not the point. But you consciously choose to be happy, joyful, live in gratitude. And that's why things come to you. What does it mean? And, and I actually, when I interviewed David Meltzer, he talked a lot about the vibration and a high vibration. And so what exactly does that mean? And, and how do you get there? How do you get, is it, you, you mentioned gratitude, you mentioned, mentioned being positive. Is it those things? Is it other things additionally? What goes into that? High vibration, it's a science. It's literally your cells vibrating 
a different frequency. Okay, so the highest vibration frequency is enlightenment. And then there's gratitude, love, joy. And then the lower ones are shame, guilt. And so what that means is feelings is just energy. It's just energy passing through our bodies, okay? So when we feel the vibration of guilt and shame, it feels heavy and slow. Our bodies don't move fast. That's because our, our DNA, our cells are literally slowing down. The frequency at which they oscillate is slowing down. And so it's literally... High vibe is a high vibration, right? Low vibe feeling is low vibration. So when we start to actively choose to be in a high vibe, those are emotions of practicing gratitude every day, even if you don't feel like it, until it becomes the norm. Because you're, what you're doing is you're programming your cells to be in that high frequency. So you're literally programming. You're choosing consciously to be happy, right? Have you ever tried when you're feeling down to smile <laughs> or laugh? There's a, a type of yoga that was introduced to me at a Tony Robbins Platinum Partners event, and it's called laughing yoga. And it was created by a, a medical doctor in India. If, you, if you're not familiar with it, like go on YouTube. The idea is to train yourself to laugh even when you don't feel like it. And it's a type of yoga. It's brilliant. I highly recommend you try it, Billy, if you haven't heard of it. And you literally do fake laugh until it becomes real laugh. And he has different techniques to do it. And the point of it all is we're training our bodies to be in a, a scientific high frequency. So when somebody is in a frequency of enlightenment. You'll see this in gurus. You'll see this in holy people, in monks. And what you'll actually see is light being emitted from them. And this is actually the energy and the frequency that they are vibrating at. So their cells are so oscillating so fast that they're producing light energy. Does that make sense? It does. What I especially appreciate is that we control this. And, and I love that you said high vibe versus low vibe, because when you have the gratefulness and happiness and excitement and energy and enthusiasm, all these things that put you in a state of bliss and euphoria, it's almost like somebody can't ruin your day. You're, because you're so high vibe, bounces off of you. It reflects, Right. I'm just fascinated by this. One thing I want to go into as we wrap up here, we started with Tony Robbins. I want to end with Deepak Chopra because I know he's taught you through his teachings. I mean, you, you've worked one-on-one -on -one with Tony and I know with Deepak, you've learned from his teachings, especially as it relates to decision-making and the choices that you make. So let's end on what is the most significant impact that his teachings have made on you specifically as it relates to decision-making? A great question. What he's taught me is he's simplified it because we overcomplicate things. And so the laws that he's taught me, the decision-making, we overthink it, we overanalyze it. And actually, when we make a decision, what we tend to do is make it from here. 
And that when we overanalyze, we're in the wrong frequency in our brain. We're actually in alpha and it's too high. Alpha, beta, it's the wrong frequency. It's too fast. It's too fast. And so what we need to do is have some coherence. So we need to have head and heart coherence. And that is in the breath work. And when we come to a decision from here, from our heart and gut, and that's what Deepak Chopra has told me that when we can simplify it and slow it down and pause and take a breath and have a moment and be present, right? When we can be present, the decision will come to you. You don't have to chase it. It will just suddenly, and it will feel right. There'll be a knowingness and a feeling of it being aligned. And so most of my work on alignment is all of implementing Deepak Chopra's learnings and teachings, because he's again a medical doctor, right? Who found that actually heart and mind coherence is where true alignment is. So perfect segue to talking about the amazing, amazing opportunities that anyone listening right now can get by working with you. I know you have Intensive, which is your flagship 12-week program. You also have an amazing program after that called Momentum, which I love that name. Um, So would love to know where people can find out more information. And I think you have a, a special gift for our listeners today. So if you could share that and Dimple, I just got to say, thank you so much. It's been such a joy, such a pleasure. Thanks for vibrating in the way in which you do at the high frequency and helping to teach us all how to do the same. And so let us know where we can learn more from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So everything's available. All my information on how to work with me is available on my website, which is just my name, dimplethakra.global. That's my name. I've just had a rebrand actually. So my new programs are going to come out. I've got four incredible new programs. So in the next week or two, I've developed some new programs because I'm so excited for them. And people want to get hold of me. I have a beautiful gift. It's actually a program that I sell. It's purchasable, but actually I want to gift it to your audience. And it's a model, a five framework model that I use with my clients called the heart model. So if anybody wants that gift, all you have to do is email team at dimple.love. It's just an email address, team at dimple.love, and they will send you that gift. That's my team. And I just want to mention as well, I've got a new book coming out. So if you want to know more about that, email my team again, team at dimple.love. In the subject, if you want the heart model, put heart. If you want info on the book, put book. So I'm not telling you the title. It's all going to be revealed. So we can't wait. Well, excited. We'll have you back on for that. And Dimple, it's been such a joy, such a pleasure. Loved having you. We could talk about this forever because it is so, so, so important and so often overlooked as a way in which we can harness our true ability to change the world and make an impact like we all know we're able to do. Dimple Thakura, thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. 
If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.